You notice I have blue on today. Uh, I left my red shirt in the closet. Uh. <laughs> if you're not a baseball fan, you may not know what I'm talking about. But uh. Last Sunday I gave to you a definition, actually two definitions for spiritual gifts. I said that a spiritual gift is a supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit equipping God's people to serve Him by effectively ministering to other people. The second definition I gave to you was this. Spiritual gifts are the abilities that God has given to us for meeting the needs of others. Hopefully, as these weeks go by, and we're talking about spiritual gifts, you will begin to grab hold of these definitions and understand them better and better, that they will make sense to you. Uh, For you that were in the first service last week, you got the whole sermon, but those that were in the second service didn't get the whole sermon. They got about one-third of the sermon, and then I had to quit. We had a person pass out into the middle aisle, and we had to call an ambulance. The nurse at the hospital later said that she thought probably it was the sermon that did this person in. (laughs) I couldn't believe she said that. Uh, I don't know about that, but one thing I know, the folks who were in the second service got to see a live illustration of what I was actually talking about in the sermon. You remember, if you were here last week, I said that spiritual gifts are different than our natural talents. Spiritual gifts are different, too, than the abilities that we might have gained from years of training or years of education that... uh, However, I said this, that sometimes our spiritual gifts are funneled through our talents. Sometimes our spiritual gifts are funneled through the training or abilities that we've received through the years. Or maybe they're funneled through our special interests. And that was, that was seen very clearly last week when this lady passed out into the middle aisle. Immediately, there were... Numbers of people who surrounded her. People who had medical training and they knew what they were doing. They, they were tending to her needs. And they were being so gentle with her and so loving towards her. And I stopped preaching and I asked the people to pray and, and just to, to bow their heads and be in prayer for this situation. And it dawned on me as it went on that this was a beautiful picture of what we had just been talking about in the sermon. Because I would imagine that most of those people who were giving attention to her physical needs, I would almost bet that each of them have either the spiritual gift of mercy or the spiritual gift of service. You see, the gift that God has, has given to them to glorify Him and to enhance the kingdom was being used to touch that lady's life and to help her in her time of crisis. And so really what we had there was something good all the way around. She was being helped. Her needs were being cared for. God was glorified through that situation. The church was encouraged. The church was built up because... 
you could just sense the tender, loving care that was being, give, being given to her. I've said this, too, last week. Every one of us who have said yes to Jesus has been given a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us. He's made His home in our heart, and He has brought with Him at least one spiritual gift that is especially suited for us. Sometimes He brings with Him more than one spiritual gift. I I would like for you, if you have your Bibles, to look at Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time today, or you can follow it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 is where we're going to start. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today, each of these verses. It says, However, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. There you have it. Each of us has been given a gift if we are in Jesus. No one has been left out. Look down to verse 11. We're going to read through verse 16. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now the challenge before us is to try and understand this passage of Scripture in just a short time that we have given to us. Notice in verse 11, we have what we might call the special gifts. And if you've been looking in your bulletin over the weeks past, we've had several different times a list of the spiritual gifts that are found in the New Testament. And some of them are called special gifts, and some of them are called serving gifts, and some of them are called speaking gifts. These here in Ephesians chapter 4 are what we would call the special gifts. Now please understand, they are not called special gifts because they are more special than the other gifts. No. As I said last week, every gift is important, and every gift is equally important needed. Some would call these the foundational gifts rather than the special gifts. In other words, these gifts were given as the foundation of the church was laid. These special gifts or these foundational gifts were instrumental in helping the early church get started. Now the question to consider is, are these gifts still with us today? For sure, some of them are. I think probably at least one of them is not. The one that I would say is not with us today is the gift of apostle. That was a particular gift for a select few. There were 12 of them. 
And you remember when Judas did what he did, when he betrayed Jesus and he then went out and hung himself, Judas needed to be replaced. And in Acts chapter 1, we see 120 followers of Jesus gathered together. Peter stood up and he began to speak to them. And he said to them, the need, according to the prophecies of the Old Testament, the need to replace Judas. And in his speaking to those 120 people, he gave the requirements for what an apostle is. And you can read that in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 to 26. I was going to read that, but I think I'll just skip over that today because you can read that on your own. You might even want to browse through that as I'm speaking to you. But in that passage, you see Peter giving to us the the requirements of an apostle. An apostle was a person, a man, who was an eyewitness of Jesus. He needed to have been with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. Okay? That's why I say the gift of apostle is no longer within uh, in the church today. There is no one among us who was with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. Only a select few would have fit into that category. And so they cast lots. There were two men who were, who were called forward, Matthias and Justice, and two, uh, they, they cast lots, and one of those was chosen. But the rest of these gifts that we see in Ephesians chapter 4, I think, are gifts that we have with us still today. Look at, look at chapter 4, verse 11. That's where these gifts are listed. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets. Let's stop right there for just a moment. This gift, the gift of being a prophet, may look differently than what it did in the first century in that those in the first century who had the gift of prophecy or the gift of preaching, that's really what this gift is, those who had this gift in the first century were oftentimes inspired by the Holy Spirit and they could predict the future. And I don't think that is the case for those of us who have this gift today. I think this is one of my gifts, the gift of preaching, but I cannot foretell the future beyond what is written in this book. The word prophet simply means one who speaks forth the truth of God and His Word. As I said, in the Old Testament, the prophet could predict the future under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the way that you could tell whether one was a true prophet of God was that he needed to be 100% accurate in his predictions. Otherwise, he was not a prophet of God and he was needing to be stoned to death. 95% accuracy was not good enough in the Old Testament If you were a prophet of God, you needed to be 100% accurate in foretelling the future. Now the one who has the gift of prophecy today is simply the preacher who speaks forth God's word as it is written in this book, the Bible. And the prophet needs to be clear. The prophet needs to be bold. He needs to be relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own power. 
He needs to be speaking forth God's Word, not His own Word or opinion. He needs to be interpreting this book under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He needs to interpret it accurately. And I would say to you, that is the kind of preacher that I want to be for you here in this church. And I would ask you to pray for me to be that kind of a preacher, that I would be one who would speak forth the truth of God's Word, that it would be His Word that I speak, not my Word, not my opinion. That I could be bold, that I could be loving too. Do you remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing, Paul said. And so would you pray for me? To preach the truth in love, but that I will never compromise the truth to satisfy the desire of man. That's the kind of preacher every that's the kind of preacher everyone needs to be who's who's in this pulpit. To be God's man, speaking God's word. What's next on this special list that's in Ephesians chapter four? We have apostles, we have prophets. And we have evangelists. Now, now what is that? These are people who have the spiritual gift of evangelism. They have a special burden for lost souls, and they have a special ability to lead people to Jesus. I'm thinking of Philip in the book of Acts, chapter 21. He is referred to as the evangelist. And several times, as you see in the book of Acts, Philip's name appear. He's leading people to Jesus through either his public preaching or through such as what we see in Acts chapter 8 when he gets up into the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch and he's one-on-one and he's leading that Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. We see him leading one to Jesus, and we see him leading an entire region of people to Jesus. Philip was a soul winner. Philip had the gift of evangelism. And we need more more Philips in the church. We need more soul winners. We need people who will not be silent about their faith. Rather, they will be passionate in sharing their faith with others. I have a couple of questions I want to ask you about this particular gift. Question one would be this. Is this gift for anyone in the church or is it reserved for the guy in the pulpit? It's for anyone. In fact, sometimes the guy in the pulpit doesn't have this gift. It's for anyone who is a part of the body of Christ that can have this gift. In fact, some of the best evangelists in the church are common, ordinary people who have a burden for the lost souls. You, the old saying, and you've heard me say this several times before, the fellow who stands here is paid to be good. You're good for nothing. <laughs> in other words, when you speak the message of Jesus, the person to whom you're speaking to understands 
It's not just your job. It's not what you're getting paid to do. It's happening because you want to speak to them. You are, you are, you are burdened for the gospel. You want to share the gospel. You believe in it strong enough that you, you, you risk sharing it. And so when they see it coming from your heart, they're going to listen. And particularly if you have developed a relationship with that person, you who are in the pew can have this gift of evangelism and you can be a very strong soul winner for Jesus if you are letting Him use you. Now not everyone has this gift. Just a few would have this gift. And so let me ask you this question. If you don't have the gift of evangelism, does that excuse you from witnessing? No, not at all. Every one of us are called to witness to others about Jesus. We are all commanded to go out and make disciples for Jesus. It's just that some are gifted in this area and they will be leaders in evangelism. They are ones who are... Who are especially able to connect with people and share the truth with them and lead those people to Jesus. But no one is off the hook from witnessing because it's not their gift. In other words, no one can say this, I don't need to witness because I don't have the gift of evangelism. No. Every one of us are called to witness. Next is the gift of being a pastor or a shepherd of the flock. Again, these are special gifts. These are foundational gifts that every church needs. The pastor, the one who has the gift of pastor, is one who cares for the flock. Now, I think it's important that you understand this. Today, we have somewhat misused this word in applying it only to the minister of the church, saying, Pastor Kevin, or Pastor Dusty, or Pastor Tim. That's, that's not even really found in Scripture. Most oftentimes, if there's any one person or group of persons that this term is used for, do you know who it's used for? It's used for the elders. The elders of the church. The ones who have chosen to feed the flock, the, who have been chosen to feed the flock, the ones who, who are chosen to protect the flock, to guard and nurture the flock. The elders are the true pastors of the flock. Does that mean that every elder that we have has this gift of pastoring? No. But if they would have this gift of pastoring, it would sure help them do their job even better. And so let me say this to our elders. As you have been one who has been called by God and chosen by the people of this church to lead the flock, if you are one who has this gift of pastoring, then by all means, use it. And if you are one who doesn't have this particular gift, you know, you could pursue this gift. Because sometimes 
I, I think I, I could see this in Scripture. We can pursue particular gifts. If we have an interest, if we have a particular calling towards an area of ministry, we can pursue a particular gift. We can ask God to give us that gift. We can ask the Spirit to train us, to equip us with that gift. And I would encourage our elders to do that. I think of one of our elders, and I I don't think Gene Winter is the only one who has this gift. I think several of our elders have this gift, but I'm picking on Gene this morning. I think Gene has this gift of being a pastor in that he teaches his ABF class of our older people here in the church, and he truly pastors those people. He teaches them, he nurtures them, he cares for them, he, he, he goes to the hospital when they're in the hospital and he, he, he visits them, he's there with them in any kind of need that they have in their life. He is a true pastor, he is a true shepherd of the sheep. And we need more pastors in the church. Let me ask you this, is this a gift that is... is uh, For only those who are elders in the church? No. No. Because if you are one who loves the people and who cares for the people and who nurtures the people, then maybe this is your gift. And we need more in the church who have this particular gift. What's next on this list out of Ephesians chapter 4? That of teacher. These are, of course, those who teach the Word of God to others. You you have a special gift of teaching, and you you teach with clarity. You see, I think it's easy to to tell who is one that has the gift of teaching. He or she is one who enjoys teaching. He or she is one who enjoys studying the Word of God and and coming up with a lesson, and then you teach that lesson to to listeners, and you teach it with clarity. And people understand what it is that you're you're teaching, and and you are one who's comfortable in this role. You are one who, who you don't feel like a fish out of water. In fact, you have found your niche, so to speak, and you do it well, and people respond to you. And people learn from you the Word of God. And people are growing in their own faith because you are teaching them the undivided Word of truth. And that Word is like a sword going into their hearts. You're encouraging them. You're admonishing them. You're challenging them. You are sharpening them through the Word of God. And I know that we have several in our church who have the gift of teaching. I think Dusty has that gift of teaching. Jerry Witt has that gift of teaching. Jerry has taught here for 400 years since uh, the church began here. (laughs) He has the gift of teaching. Randy Carter has the gift of teaching. I sat in Randy's classroom uh, nearly every Sunday during the ABF hour, and I I am fed through Randy. 
Kevin Addington has this gift. Dale Johnson has this gift. Joyce Cowan, Gene Armstrong. There are many who have this gift of teaching. I was in someone's home just this last week, and we were talking. She was sharing with me that she is in Gene Armstrong's Monday morning Bible study. And you know what she said? She said, Gene is so knowledgeable of the Bible. And she is. That's a good trait for a teacher to have. I, I, I will say this, though. That takes work. That takes time in the Scripture. That's over a period of years where one is in the Word, digging into the Word, and learning the Word. That's what Jean has done. That's why she's knowledgeable of the Scripture. And she then is able to take that knowledge and she is able to communicate it to those ladies in her Monday morning Bible study to a point that they receive the Word into their mind and heart and they understand it and they are encouraged and they are sharpened and they are inspired and maybe they're convicted too. That's, that's all what needs to be happening as one is teaching the Word of God to others. Church needs more teachers of God's Word. What about this question? How do you know if you have the gift of teaching? Well, you have to try it before you can know if you have the gift. And in most cases, the gift has to be practiced and perfected. You're probably not going to be a brilliant teacher overnight. You grow in your ability to teach as you use your gift. And that's probably true with all of these gifts. You grow. You get better as you use your gift. And so let me encourage many of you to try this gift. Explore. Test yourself. Is this a gift that I have? And you could do that through Vacation Bible School, through Children's Church, and just getting opportunities to be in a teaching situation, a small group on a Sunday night. You could do that. Many of you could lead a group on Sunday night. You could see if indeed, is this the, do I have the gift of teaching? It is God who enables us. It is God who empowers us with these gifts so that we can equip others. Did you get that? He empowers us so that we can equip others. And that's really the rest of this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read to you verse 12 from the New Living Translation. It says, uh, those... Look at it here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You see, those who have these gifts that are listed in verse 11 are not to do all of the work themselves. Rather, they are to equip God's people so that they can do the work of God and thereby the church will be built up and made strong. Let me give to you just three short observations from these remaining verses in Ephesians 4. There needs to be some equipping going on. 
The word equip means to prepare fully. It's interesting to see how this same word is used in other passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. It's, it's translated fully trained. And, and the context here is of a teacher who is needing to fully train his pupil. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul wants to visit the church at Thessalonica. What's he want to do for them? He wants to complete what is lacking in their faith. That is the same word that you see over here in Ephesians 4 for equip. He wants to complete in them what is lacking. And here's another interesting use of this word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus is walking along the beach and there are Fishermen in the boat, do you remember what they're doing with their nets? They're mending their nets, is what the Scripture says. That's the same word for equip. They're working on their nets. Their nets have holes in them. They are mending them. They are fixing them. They are giving attention to them. They're mending them so that later they will be more efficient in catching fish. Anybody here need some mending done in your life? A few of you do. I'm glad the rest of you don't. <laughs> Anybody here need some, some, some work done on your... Note, I did not say. Those of us who are perfect and complete need to help those who are not. No. For in a sense, we all need mending. We all are broken to a point. But what I have experienced in my life is when I help a brother who is broken, he in turn can help me in my brokenness. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, says Proverbs chapter 27, 17. I've looked at my years of ministry, and sometimes I have to be honest with you, I have not very, done very well in equipping, other than just preaching the truth and, and letting God's Word do its work in your life. But there, I, I've just not done really a great job of equipping. Now, the last three years, I think I have done a better job than at any other time in my ministry of equipping. And that is because I have met with some men on a weekly basis. And we have read Scripture together and we have memorized Scripture together and we have researched Scripture and we have talked and we have prayed together and we have grown together and we have borne one another's burdens and we have wept together and we have encouraged each other and we have researched topics and come back to the group and we have taught one another on those topics. And the bottom line is, for each of us, we have supplied for one another what's lacking in each other's life. There's been some equipping going on. And I tell you what, it's fulfilling. It's encouraging to me to, to be able to invest into someone's life and mend their broken net. And what I'm, what I'm wanting to encourage you in is this. We need more people who are willing to invest into other people's lives and mend the broken nets. We need to just stop being people who receive and receive and receive the Word of God, but have little output. 
That was never God's plan for his church. In fact, I was thinking of it in this way. A sponge can only receive so much, and then it can't receive anything more. Isn't that true, ladies? If you've got a sponge, or guys, if you're washing your vehicle at home, in fact, I did this just Friday with a couple of my vehicles. I've got a sponge about this big, and I dip it into the bucket of water, and that sponge can only receive so much, and then it can't receive anything more. And so I pulled that sponge out in its fullness and I began to wash the car and it gives away water and the car is cleaned and then it's able to be dipped into the water, the soapy water, and it, it can receive more. And we need to be like that sponge. As we receive the Word of God into our lives, whether it be through a Sunday morning service, we've received the Word, uh, we've received God's teaching in the ABF hour. Through the week, we need to squeeze a little of that out. We need to give it out to those whom we are around. And then, and, and then through the week too, we're in the Word ourselves and we're, we're replenishing that which we're giving away. But if there's never any giving away, if there's just always take, 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 you can only take so much and then you can't take anything more. Give some away. There needs to be some equipping going on. You can be an equipper. You can touch somebody else's life. Most of us here have been in the church for how many years? We need to be equipping others. We need to be giving some away of that which we have received. And that leads me to the second point. They're just Everybody needs to be working, doing their part. And that's what verse 12 says. Their responsibility, speaking of those in verse 11, is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the body of Christ. And so, we are equipped, and then we touch somebody else's life, and we look for that area of ministry in which we can get involved in. And what really needs to be happening in the Lord's church is as we are growing, the base of workers is becoming larger and larger. There's more equippers, more workers, and then you bring new people into the church and they get equipped and they become a part of the work team. That's the way the Lord meant for the church to be. Every member of the church working and doing his or her part. Just like the human body, there is no member without a function. Every member is working. And that's really the reason for this entire sermon series on spiritual gifts. That we would discover what our spiritual gift is and then that we would begin to work within the framework of that gift. And when that happens when you begin to work in the framework of your gift, you will be more fulfilled, you will have more joy in your Christian life than you've ever had. You have the gift of service? 
figure out, okay, how can I use that gift of service to the glory of God and to the building up of the kingdom? You have the gift of hospitality. How can I use that gift of hospitality to the glory of God and to the building up of the kingdom? And write on down every single gift that there is, whatever your gift is, figure it out and begin to learn how you can function within the framework of that gift. I will tell you over the next couple of weeks in Sunday school or in in the ABF hour, we're going to cover, in most of our classes, we're going to cover two weeks on spiritual gifts and they're going to be very practical lessons helping you to figure out what your spiritual gift is. Because what we're doing in here is is kind of an overview. We're looking at, at, each week, we're looking at the different passages that have to do with spiritual gifts. And we're just, we're breaking them down. We're trying to understand what God is saying to us through these particular passages. Today is Ephesians 4. Next week is Romans 12. And we'll see what God has to say about spiritual gifts and and, and try to understand that passage better. But in the Sunday school hour, in the ABF hour next week, you're going to be talking about how do I discover my spiritual gift? And the week after that, same, same idea. You're, we're going to try our best to help you. If you want to know what your spiritual gift is, we're going to try and help you find it. We're even going to have a test for you that you can take home, a spiritual gifts test. And you can answer about 100 questions and you can figure out what your spiritual gift is from those answers. Now, the important thing, the most important thing is after you discover what your gift is, that you figure out how to use it. What can, what can I do with that gift of service? God wants everybody to be working. And do you know what the ultimate goal is for all of this? It's right there in Ephesians chapter 4. The ultimate goal is unity and maturity. Let me read to you verse 13. It's very clear to us. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now let me ask you, how long will it take before we have complete unity and maturity in the church? Till He comes back. And so what's what Paul is saying is simply this. We're working towards unity. We're working towards every member being complete in Christ, mature in Christ. But we know that's going to be a forever job until Jesus comes back. And so what needs to be happening is you and I are working for Him until He comes. And there is no idleness. There is no... You know, we, we, we hear this, this percentage of uh, a small percentage, 20% do 80% of the work. It shouldn't be that way. It should be everyone doing their part, carrying their load, 
to the glory of God and to the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to gain a desire to have a burden to know what our gift is and to use that gift to your glory and to the building up of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name.